Good morning. If you have a Bible, I would love for you to open it up to the first letter of John, which is very much toward the last 5% of your Bible. First letter of John, chapter 2, we'll get to verse 7 in just a moment. Uh, my name is Matt Proctor, and I love getting to teach God's Word and to revel in this amazing God who is at work in our world and in our lives. What if I were to tell you that there are two realms of existence, two realms at war, and there is no neutral territory like Switzerland? Right, is this a fairy tale? Right? Is, is this Dorothy's Oz? Is this Alice's Wonderland? Is this Christopher Robin's 100-acre wood? Is this an accurate picture of the world? I believe so. The Bible calls one of these realms the realm of light, and the other the realm of darkness. One realm prizes moral purity, goodness, and love. Another realm promotes selfish ambition, personal gain, moral ambiguity. And these two realms have been in a, in a conflict since the very beginning. Now, these two realms came to a head on a Friday 2,000 years ago. The king of the realm of light had entered the world of darkness, but humanity loves darkness more than light. And so they crucified the king of light. They struck down moral purity. They killed God incarnate. But darkness cannot kill light. And so what we celebrate next Sunday is that on the third day, the king of light rose from the dead. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it declared that evil had been overcome, a new world had dawned, the kingdom of God would now advance in and through the crucified king and his people of light. And these people are called little Christs or Christians, and it carries this moniker for 2,000 years, Christianity. Now, but we need to beware, right? Because wherever there is genuine Christianity, there's always counterfeits. And much of what we're going to discover and some of what we've already seen in this, uh, the Apostle John's letter to a church in the first century is about exposing the counterfeits. What is real? What is genuine? What is false? What is artificial? Now, if you visit a flea market in a poor country, and there's a table set up with 40 Gucci purchase, purses, you could be pretty sure that these things were not hand-sewn in Italy. Similarly, if you go to this flea market and a guy has five Rolex watches down his left arm, it is very, very unlikely that these were made at one of the four locations where these things are put together in Switzerland. And yet they look so real. And even if you know they're fake, you're tempted to still embrace it because why not? This is the danger of the realm of darkness. Why not? It's close. It is so similar. Some of you guys have read Plato's Republic. Do you know what the opening question is? 
Would you rather be considered by the public world evil, corrupt, wrong, but actually be a good person? Or would you love the world's applause and for them to think that you're good, but actually to be evil? The counterfeit is still awfully tempting. And yet it's dangerous, destructive, without hope. Last week when we looked at 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, we looked at one version of counterfeit Christianity, and that's the one that's been around since the earliest days. And that form of Christianity rejects God's commands and pursues a life of indulgence, albeit claiming to be legitimate followers of Jesus. And if you remember, the Apostle John called such practitioners liars and fakes. Remember verse 6, it said, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Today, John continues instruction on another contrast between true and counterfeit. Verses 7 through 14. Let me read to you these words from John. He writes, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one. Verse 7. Which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This ends the reading of Holy Scripture, God's authoritative, enduring word. I testified to its validity, and I assure you that it is true. Father, would you bless now as we walk through this text. Help where I am weak uh, for you to still be merciful and allow ears to hear and understand. Uh, let us not hear God's word and leave the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So counterfeit Christianity is highlighted in verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. And then little bit legitimate Christianity is described in verse 10. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Now it sounds simple, but let's uh, not prejudge the simplicity of these verses just yet. We have much to cover, so let me give you a table of contents for where we'll walk this morning. Uh, Verses 7 to 8, we're going to talk about the old made new. Verses 9 through 11, we're going to talk about light and sight. And then in verses 12 through 14, just want to hear the Apostle John saying, become what you are. So look with me now under verses 7 through 8. The old made new. The old made new. Now, I've mentioned before that by the time the Apostle John is writing this, he's probably a pretty old feller right, 60s, 70s, even 80s, 
So maybe he's like an old fuddy-duddy because he sounds like he says one thing and then the other in verses 7 through 8. Are you, like, are you too old for this, John? Those of you who are uh, older as saints know, he knows exactly what he's doing. Listen, young pups. Verse 7, he says, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet, I'm writing you a new command. His truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and true light is already shining. Now, you, it sounds like doublespeak, right? It sounds like he doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, but it only sounds like if you don't understand right, that John believes the entire world has turned right side up because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Right? So John, like all true Christians, they believe that history climaxes and the world shifts when Jesus rises from the dead. And so the command to which John is talking about, this old command, it's the, you find it in the Old Testament, you find it in other religions. This old command, it, it, it really in some ways even permeates most modern cultures, right? You should love people. You should love people. You should love your neighbor. This shouldn't be a shocking command. You've, you've heard this before. And yet, what, what verse 8 is going on to say, that there is a newness to this command because these are new days. In the resurrection of Jesus, in the overcoming of darkness and Satan, death and sin, there is a newness to the world. The kingdom of God is advancing in a new way. True light is shining. The Messiah has come to save his world and his people. Death for sin has occurred. The promise of the Holy Spirit has come. And so when God says now, love your neighbor, love your brother, love your sister, it rings with fresh power and possibilities. It used to be when you would hear the command, love your neighbor or love, it was a death sentence. That's it. Because you could not keep this. You would not obey this. You would fall short. You would fail. But because now through Jesus and the working of the Holy Spirit in those who have trusted in Jesus, love is now possible like it's never been before. The old command is made new in Christ and in now we can love like we've never been able to love before. In some ways, we were like, uh, uh, you know, a re remote control car without batteries. And so no matter how hard you pushed on those little plastic levers, have you, ever, have you guys ever had that same problem? You're like, maybe if I push harder, it'll start working. But you know, at some point, you just have to put new batteries in. And there's a sense in which, through Jesus, we're given this fresh charge of love. We're now tapped into love himself. Now we have resources to love. And so the old command now becomes a new command to love like Jesus. So there's this new definition of the, 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 the level of love that is called toward, to us when it says love. Like you hear love your neighbor, you want to be like, oh, well, that means nice. Don't be a jerk. Hmm. But the, the definition of love is now love like Jesus who loved his enemies. He gave his entire life 
to his enemies. Right? So that's now the standard of love, but we don't just have the high standard of love. We have, through the Holy Spirit, the ability to love. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, the, the Holy Spirit has been poured into our hearts. The love of God by the Holy Spirit is poured into our hearts. So this old command is made new. We're to love like Jesus Christ, but with the resources from Jesus Christ. And Jesus expects this sort of transformation for any person who claims to truly know Jesus. This is the old made new. Well, let's talk a little bit more about this new, newness. So let's let come to this topic of light and sight. So verse 9 says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. There's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So there's a big warning here, right? That, that, that darkness is blinding. Darkness makes us believe things that aren't true. See things that aren't true. And one of the greatest lies we can believe is that hate is okay. It's okay. It's normal. And John doesn't speak to just any kind of hate. He talks about a particular hatred that exists among Christians. That I would hate a, someone who professes to follow Jesus, a sister, a brother, a Pakistani brother, a Kenyan brother, a Swiss sister, that I would hate someone. Now, if you've been a professing Christian for a little while, if you've been in maybe even an evangelical type of church for a long time, we know that we would never admit to hating anybody. We say things like, oh, I love Brother Tom. I just don't like him. We love finding ways to justify not loving. But this is where definitions help. So I would say a lot of times that maybe if someone say hate, we tend to simply define hate as to loathe or despise. That's what hate means. That is a definition of hate, but that's not all that hate is. Likewise, we would say love is like an intense fondness for. And so, you know, we just kind of put these huge hates way over here and loves way over there, right? I don't loathe and despise that guy. But biblical meanings of love and hate are much broader or maybe more, I guess, more precise or more cutting. <laughs> One of the best definitions I've ever heard for love is to love, love is to actively will the good of another. To love is to actively will the good for another. That is, love is marked by attitude and action. We're going to get to that in 1 John chapter 3 where it says, don't just love in word, but in deed. To love is to actively will the good of another. So what is to hate? To hate would then be to ignore the good of another person, or to hate would mean to reject their company, their preferences, their needs. 
just kind of think about this. We were made to love. In fact, that's all that we really do. We, we were made to love. But when, we're, when it's not directed to God or when it's not directed to others, we're still going to love things. And so a lot of the, the easiest substitutes, right, is I'm going to love my comfort, my sense of personal safety and security. I want to feel safe. Everywhere I go, I want to feel safe. I want, to, I want to be entertained. I want to be amused. And so often, it is our active love for those things. It's our active pursuit of those things that get in the way of loving other people. You're always going to love something or someone. But if you're actively pursuing your personal safety, your personal security, your personal comfort, your personal entertainment... You're not actively willing the good of another. You just run out of bandwidth. So think about, let's just think about love and hate. Friends, it is hate when you avoid another brother or sister because you find them difficult. Friends, it is hate when you slander the opinions and values of other brothers and sisters. Friends, it is hate when you withhold resources that could aid a brother or sister in need. Friends, it is hate when you place malicious attitudes in the hearts of those with whom you disagree. And it says hate causes us to stumble. Hate causes others to stumble. But what love is, love is saying, I'm going to make a way for you. I'm going I'm to put your needs ahead of my comfort, security, safety, entertainment. Now, it's always tempting to wonder, why does John focus on love of Christians, you know, that we're supposed to have for one another? Why not the love we should have for all people, right, inside and outside the church? Right? I think that's always, you read that in Scripture a lot. Like, why is there so much focus on the love that is supposed to happen in the church? Well, again, it goes back to what John is saying here, that when Christians have an encounter with Jesus Christ and they enter the kingdom of light, he believes this should be a community of changed people. Right? John believes the Christian church should be the most loving place in the world. John believes the light of heaven pours into the lives of Christians and then it must spill out into the lives of others. And John's fear is if it's not happening in you and if it's not happening among you, it might be in darkness. It might be a counterfeit Christianity. We'd be, we could be blind. But Jesus' light is to give us right, spiritual sight. That's what John's doing. He's trying to give us sight to see. Particularly, by the way, it's tempting right now to step back and be like, I hope so-and-so is listening to this sermon right now because I don't think they're very loving. Can I ask you not to do that for the next 10 or 15 minutes? Right? I believe that the light is, starts with the light for your own hearts. Right? right? Is there someone that you know is a brother or sister that you're, you've been hating? Is there a brother or sister that you have not been actively willing their good? Is there a brother or sister that you've slandered? 
Uh, there's a pastor I appreciate by the name of David Jackman. I've been using his commentary throughout this First John series. This is a quote from Pastor Jackman. He says, The conscience that is habitually silenced soon ceases to speak. Would you let the Holy Spirit speak to your conscience and let it keep speaking? This command to love must pierce through all Christian pretenses. So questions, have you really loved your brothers and sisters well over the past 12 months? Have you actively loved brothers and sisters who voted differently than you did? Have you actively loved brothers and sisters well who have had different opinions on race and equity? Have you loved brothers and sisters of different races and ethnicities? Have you loved brothers and sisters with, uh, have you loved brothers and sisters well who have approached the pandemic differently than you? Have you prayed regularly for your brothers and sisters for their joy and blessing? The past 12 months have been hard on me. You know, I thought I've loved people in this church and Christians in the community. I thought I was forbearing, kind, open-minded, but I know I've fallen short. and failed different people in this church of not actively loving, actively pursuing, sinned against the Lord and you. My love's been cold, short-lived, and fickled. Fickled. And so I've been grieving over my own lack of love. Grieving over... One, like the possibility, you guys feel this way, like you wake up in the morning or you look at life, you're like, I know that knowing Jesus, I should have this great capacity to love, and it's really motivating when I look ahead, but when I look backward, it's very discouraging. Like, I believe the promises of God, and yet it, when I look at my past track, work, track record, it's like, wow, right? One, I, this is, I'm so thankful we're going to get to this in verses 12 through 14. I'll just remind, look at 12, because I needed 12 this week. I'm writing you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Do you need that? I needed that. I kind of wrestle with my own heart and the darkness I'm seeing there. Okay, I need the forgiveness of Jesus. And yet, I still think it is appropriate for us to grieve over our lack of love. Grieve over uh, the lovelessness that's been exposed among Christians in this church, in this community, in this country, in this world. I need Jesus, and I need to see more clearly what it means to love. So where are you? Has Lord given you light and sight on this issue? All right, like I said, we're going to jump into verses 12 through 14 because we need hope. I think there's a lot of hope in verses 12 through 14. We looked at the old maiden nude. We look at light and sight. Now, this is this invitation to become what you are. Verses 12 through 14, in these verses, John is speaking to the first century church, and he's saying, brothers and sisters, remember that you have been brought into the kingdom of light. And he, he uses these expressions, children, young men, fathers, and I agree with the scholars that are probably saying, like, these are, he's talking about different levels of spiritual maturity, different levels of kind of experience, right? Those who are new to the faith, that are babes in Christ, those who are kind of teenagers that are growing and grasping, and, and then some, those who have walked with God, spiritual mothers and fathers. But he's, he's bringing us back to truths about what it means to live in, in, in the kingdom of light and among the community of love. 
This is the realm that God wants us to live in, and how is it possible? And now we have these reminders. This is how we become what we are. Verse 12, John says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Dear children, remember that for the glory of God, he has chosen to forgive his children. It's for the sake of his name. It makes God look so good when he sends down his mercy on sinners. Remember that. It's for his honor, but it's for our good. You've been forgiven. And if you feel the weight of sin and the judgment and the condemnation, you run once again to the cleansing, powerful, purging blood of Jesus. For you have been forgiven on account of his name. His credit is good. And we go to his credit. Jesus died so your sins could be forgiven. And then he says, too, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning, right? You're forgiven and you know Jesus. Think about it. If he's writing to the fathers, right, the, the, the supposedly spiritual mature ones, he goes back to basics. You know him. What a gift. You can know God. Forgiveness has opened up a relationship with God previously impeded by sin. The door was locked because of sin, but now the door has been swung open. You can know God. You can talk to God. You can listen to God. Goes on and says, I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one, right? The evil one Satan loves to make you love yourself. He loves to make you love yourself. Satan is the greatest being in the world at loving himself, and he loves to have other people like him loving themselves. Satan loves to keep you preoccupied on the self. And then he loves to make you live in shame because you love yourself. But it says, but through Jesus the evil is defeated. Satan can lie to us still, but he cannot control us. You can live a new life. You have overcome the evil one. Verse 14 says, I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. This is the first repetition, but it's not the last in this short little section. John reiterates, you know God, but not as a tyrant, but as a father. He's not this you know, judge in the sky that's throwing down the lightning bolts. He's not Zeus. He's not cruel. He's father. We need the simple truth. You know him as father. Crawl into his lap. Be restored once again to relationship with him. Verse 5, or going on the next section where it says, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Again, isn't this interesting? The spiritual fathers are not pointed out to like these deeper theological insights, but the simplest truths from the earliest days. You know God, the one from the beginning. And then this last section, it's kind of like a laundry list, tying a lot of the same ones he's already said, but he says, I write to you young men because you are strong, the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This is the treasures of being a part of the realm of light. God has made you strong. In Jesus, the word can take residence in your lives. And then by way of reminder, you have overcome the evil one. You are not in the realm of darkness anymore. You are in the realm of light, and you've been, made, been brought into the community of love. 
So, what? Remember the old command now made new. Love one another. Love your brother and sister. Do you guys, some of you guys have studied this some, but can you think about the first community of love that Jesus put together? I mean, two of the most interesting people in Jesus' band are one guy named Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Right? These are two guys who have two different political opinions. Matthew, the tax collector, is very thankful that Rome is in control of Israel, and he's very much wanting them to remain in control, so he has a job, so he has a good living, right? Simon the Zealot would like to politically overthrow and kill all the Romans. I could just see Jesus you know, do like a teaching on like some parable and then say, hey, why don't you guys break up into pairs to talk about what this means for your life? Simon, Matthew, you guys talk about that together. I mean, this, is, this is the kind of community of love Jesus is forming. He's taking people from ridiculously opposite sides of the tracks and saying, would you be together and learn to love so that the world might know about me? What is it, how might this reflect in your life this week, right? Some of us, it's going to require some Repentance. Right, we're going to need to confess some anger, bitterness, judgmentalism, and slander that we've directed toward brothers and sisters. And maybe some serious confession before the Lord. Um, but maybe this has is, this is impeded a relationship and it's going to require actual reconciliation. It might be in this church body. It might be another brother or sister in our community. It might be someone far enough away that you have to use your phone. Uh, if they live within town, please don't do it over phone and please never do it over text. You go to these people and you say, I have sinned against the Lord and against you. Will you forgive me? Others of us will need to recommit to fellowship with all my brothers and sisters, not just the ones who I like and think similarly to me. If you've never come into the realm of light, if you've never met the forgiveness of Jesus, Yours might be just today coming before the cross and saying, would you forgive me, Lord Jesus, and let me enter into this realm of light. I'm tired of only living in the realm of darkness. One of the scenes that came to mind this week is the, the scene in Star Wars Episode One when uh, Qui-Gon Qui Jinn is explaining the, the Force to Anakin Skywalker. You guys remember this scene? This is how the conversation went. Anakin Skywalker says, Master, sir, I hear Yoda talking about midichlorians. I've been wondering, what are midichlorians? And Qui-Gon Jinn says, midichlorians are a microscopic life form that reside within all living cells and communicates with the Force. Anakin Skywalker says, they live inside of me? Qui-Gon Jinn says, in your cells, yes. We are symbionts with them. Symbionts, Anakin asks? Life forms. Living together for mutual advantage, Qui-Gon Jinn explains. And without the midichlorians, the life could not exist, and we would have no knowledge of the Force. They can continually speak to you, telling you the will of the Force. And when you learn to quiet your mind, you will hear them speaking to you. And then Anakin says, I don't understand. Most of this room is going, yeah. Most of us who have watched all episodes of Star Wars still don't understand what he's talking about right here. But then Qui-Gon Jinn says, with time and training, Annie... You will. You will. Now, Star Wars isn't real, nor is the Force. 
But I love that the idea that he's describing how invisible realms impact the visible realm. So I'd like to close our time this morning with the Apostle John serving as Qui-Gon Jinn. He is the Jedi Master of Love, and we're his Padawan learners trying to understand what love is. And so this is the conversation I would have us have. We're a little Anakin going, Master John, sir, I hear Jesus speaking of love as being the mark of true discipleship. What does that mean? Apostle John says, love flows from the central reality of the universe, us. What is the central reality, Master John? John says, God is love. And as his love through his son, Jesus impacts us, love is passed on to us. Huh? Passed on to us? But how? How can divine love reach to me? John says, little child, when you believe in God, he brings you into his realm of light and love. You know him, and he shares with you all that is his, especially his love. And then we say, but there is still such darkness in me. Master John says, I know, little one. But remember, Christ overcame that darkness through his death and resurrection, and now you can live in victory over the evil one. And then we say, I still don't understand. And John says, with time and training, little one, you will. You will. Today we have been instructed by the apostle of love, and he wants us to know we are in the realm of light, called to be the community of love to live out what Jesus said would be true of us, can be true of us. In John 13, 34 through 35, I close with this. Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Let me pray, and then we'll turn our attention to the Lord's table. Father in heaven, I would ask that you uh, would help us remember the truths just packed there in verses 12 through 14. That our sins have been forgiven on account of the, and for the sake of the name of Jesus. That we can know God as Father. That we have overcome the evil one. That God's word lives in us. We thank you for the good news that is now made possible through Jesus Christ. And now I just pray for each of us, Lord, to this next week to, to abide in the, in, 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 in the realm of light, abide in Christ, live in light of the new realities that have been brought forward and made possible through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And Lord, we long for the day when all things that will be made right. But until that day, Lord, let us press forward to do what is right. For your sake, in your name, we pray. Amen.